Hi, I'm Gar Sanders. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm Lee Holdsworth. I'm James Courtney. We're the Forex Angels, and you're listening to the VA Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. Teams look to 2012. You always have to be careful adding that extra car in because it can take away a lot more resources. And we find out why Paul Gover rates Scaife as the best ever. How do you compare a bloke now who's doing 30 rounds and then you look back in the Touring Car Championship days when there were six rounds? It's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. This news update is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Teams are starting to plan for 2012. Dan Crane has told the V8 Insiders that they are working hard on how to approach the 2012 season with their sights firmly set on 2013 at Stone Brothers Racing. We need to work backwards from having the number of cars, which will be three for us, um, on track in early 2013, um, right the way back through you know, to the build process, which obviously will start occurring probably about uh, the middle of next year. There's plenty of speculation on what teams will be doing next year. Dick Johnson Racing is working on plans to possibly go to three cars, with continued speculation that Dean Fiore may choose to move from his single-car operation. Fiore told the V8 Insiders that he hasn't decided what he will do next season, but he's watching every penny in the lead-up to the car of the future. We've already made that decision in terms of our equipment. We're probably most likely staying with this this thing. Um, it's good enough. Um, this, the info... Info that we're getting is a little bit dated, but um, the thing runs runs well. You know, like it's a, it's a good car. So we just got to be careful, make the right decision that we don't spend too much money on the next year and a half, um, and uh, and it all goes to waste. You know, there there is some stuff that you know, like like Scafey said from the from the get go, it's not it's not a revolution, it's evolution. So there's still going to be stuff that carries over. This week, the V8 Supercar Commission has been busy allaying fears that the electronic curb-hopping system will cause issues in what could be the season-defining race in Sydney. Commission Chairman has told the V8 Supercars website that the problems experienced in the Gold Coast were caused by the track's curbing being designed for IndyCars, not for V8 Supercars. And Sydney being designed for the V8 Series will not allow drivers to take the liberties that some did during the Gold Coast 600. Some have suggested that V8 supercars need to look at the orange secondary strips that were on show at India last week, which ripped the suspension off the car if drivers decided to take too much off the corner. And finally, Triple Eight's Managing Director Roland Dane is leading the team's Movember campaign. He'll be joined by 20 other crew members, including Craig Lowndes, Team Principal Adrian Burgess and Lead Engineers for the 88 and 888 cars, Mark Dutton and Jeremy Moore. 
Movember is a movement that looks at raising awareness and supporting men's charities, including Prostate Cancer and Beyond Blue, the National Depression Initiative. After the break on the Van Insiders, Stone Brothers, Dan Crane will join me, and then later, Andrew Clark and Tom Warnsley will be on this week's roundtable. Then on the White Flag Lap, we speak to Paul Gover. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Well, it's time to look at the technical side of the business once again with Dan Crane. And uh, Dan, thanks for joining us. It's been a busy period. How much more work is this latter half of the year than the beginning where you have three and four weeks breaks in between each going? Oh, look, mate, I can't. Yeah, it's hard to describe it. It's very busy. You know, obviously we've we've come out of Bathurst and you pretty much go straight into the Gold Coast event where we've got a test day for international drivers um, between that. And then uh, we've got a three-week break at the moment, but we basically have to spend that three weeks preparing for two back-to-back events where we've got Simmons Plains in Tassie and then Sandown. And uh, they're a week apart. So for us teams here in Queensland, we take everything with us and we stay in Melbourne to prepare our cars for the Sandown event, fingers crossed. Not too much damage after Simmons Plains. How much time do you spend on a contingency plan for if things go awry when you get down there to Simmons Plains? Oh, look, we, we spend a lot of time preparing, obviously. You know, the best thing we can do is prepare for the worst-case scenario, and that's um, a lot of panel and component damage. So, you know, on top of our normal allocation of spares, we, uh, we take an extra set, and usually that should be enough to at least see us through uh, the two race meetings. But... Obviously, given that we've got a week in between both, uh, Sunday night after Simmons Plains, if it looks like we're uh, a bit depleted on things, we can obviously get a few things shipped down from our workshop up in Queensland. How soon do you get set up in a workshop in Melbourne after Simmons? Um, pretty pretty quickly, basically. Sunday night, the truck rolls off of the um, or out of Simmons Plains and onto the boat, and uh, we see that it, it should come off the boat Monday night in Melbourne uh, or Tuesday morning, depending on the weather. And then by about Tuesday lunchtime, we'll be set up in a, in a workshop and uh, preparing the cars for the following weekend at Sandown. What sort of extra load do you have in the truck? Obviously, when you go to a race meeting, you pretty much can rebuild the car out of the truck. Do you take an extra truck with you and park it down in Melbourne, waiting for you to get back there? Um, no, but what we do is we do pack it a bit more full to the brim, I would say. So, like I said, our normal allocation of spares where you might have two of pretty much every panel or front bumper or rear bumper or door for a car, you might, you'll might you probably try and take three. And uh, we've also, a lot of our cars, because they're all the panels fit uh, from car to car, we'll just have a base colour of paint on them but with a, a complete spare set of uh, stickers. So, you know, we can put 
particular guards on any of our cars and then just put the right uh, sponsor, sponsorship stickers on top of um, each of those panels to sort of see us through. So it does help by being able to share those things between the three cars rather than having individual spares for each car. Mm. We've, we heard a lot over the weekend that teams in Formula One are just working on 2012 and what they're going to do in 2012. With your team having three cars out there, at what point are you one or or uh, the engineering group working on that 2012 package as opposed to what you'll get out of the rest of this season? Oh, look, it's, um, that's an interesting question. We actually had one of those meetings today here at Stone Brothers Racing, and uh, you know we've still got a development process to, to follow through for um, the end of this year as well as next year. And uh, given that the the current rules, regulations, and cars will um, maintain the same specification for next year. Um, it's basically an ongoing development um, process. Where it uh, gets a little bit tricky, obviously, we've got the implementation of the car of the future for 2013, and uh, we need to work backwards from having the number of cars, which will be three for us, um, on track in early 2013, um, right the way back through you know, to the build process, which obviously will start occurring probably about uh, the middle of next year. So that adds a different dimension to our development program because obviously we need to then offset some of our design um, and engineering resource um, from you know our current program onto the Car of the Future program. But obviously, um, you know, we, we're planning for that right now and we should be able to integrate that into our operations quite easily. Well, Dan, always a pleasure to catch up with you here on the V8 Insiders and look forward to speaking to you again as this year continues on. Fantastic. Thanks a lot, Craig. There's more on the V8 Insiders right after this. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Craig Lance from Team Vodafone, and you're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week from V8X Magazine, it's Andrew Clark. Good evening, Andrew. Hey, Craig. How are you? And it's always a pleasure to have Tom Worsley on. Tom, good evening to you. Good evening, Craig and listeners. Tom, it's been an interesting year so far. We've seen so many different things happen. Oh, yeah, that's right. Jamie Wincup's winning the championship. That seems to be the same. Yeah, it, it seems to be a common factor at the moment. I think the more interesting things have been um, Team BOC getting a win, um, Shane Van Gisbergen picking up two wins, Kelly Racing picking up a win, the progress of James Moffat. So although the front hasn't changed a great deal over the course of the year, um, you know, two or three steps back, it's it's just been fantastic to see different guys running um, competitively with the, with the top teams and also, um, you know, uh, Ford Performance Racing struggling on the soft tyre and overcoming that on the weekend. So, yes, it's been... Uh, you know, 2011's been the same as previous years, but it also has been a very different year. 
Andrew, you wrote the SCAFE book, so it's no good asking you if you think drivers dominating through pure skill and being at the right place at the right time isn't the right outcome in motor racing. Oh, I think it's, you know, history tells you that that's the case, doesn't it? Whether, you know, you're talking Ayrton Senna and Elaine Prost or whether you're going to talk Peter Brock or Mark Scaife. I mean, at the end of the day, you can be the most talented driver in the world. If you don't have the right team, you're just not going to win races. And, uh, you know, history tells us that right now, and perhaps for the last three or four years, uh, the team that's, you know, that's got its act together is Team Vodafone. But uh, the interesting thing to me is to see a few cracks appearing in the armoury of the of the team of late. You know, they, they muck up with Lowndes and the electrical system at, uh, at Indy. Um, the alternator problem for Wincup, which uh, from what I understand is, could be related to the crash that Wincup had had. You know, so there's a couple of little cracks that are appearing there to say that, you know, it's not, it's not invincible. It's not the, the unbeatable force that perhaps we think it is. Uh, but on the whole, you know, they just do so much of a better job than anybody else um, that if you're not in that car, then your chances of winning the championship are pretty slim. Mm. And, of course, they're doing it with a two-car team, and we hear more and more that you need more than two cars to be competitive in this field, Andrew. Well, they do have more than two cars if you really want to get into it. You know, they, they, they supply engineering support to a whole bunch of people across the board, whether it's, you know, the Ford teams that they supplied to, like DJR and so forth in the past, or, you know, through to the you know, some of the engineering um, components that they build and sell off to other people. I mean, the only reason that, uh, that you need more than two cars... Um, is if you think you need more than two blocks of advice on a given race weekend. Um, and you're talking, you know, two guys in Craig Lowndes and Jamie Wincup um, who have an amazing relationship with their engineers. Um, you know, and we saw a couple of years ago, you know, Lowndes took a while to come to grips with it, with his new relationship. Um, but once, the, once they gelled, you know, everything sort of started to work. So, you know, I don't think you need to have more than two, two, two cars necessarily. And I think Team Vodafone is ample proof of that. You know, you view that compared to Walkinshaw Racing, which has struggled for so long to manage three or four cars, and you think, well, you know, which guys have got their act together? Mm. Um, Tom, and two cars is not a not a hindrance. Mm. Tom, I guess the question is, do we want Craig Lowndes to win if we're V8 Supercars, or do we want Jamie Wincup to get his third title? I think for the sport. It would be great to see Lowndes get another title. Um, we've seen a lot of Jamie Wincup lately. Probably one of the best things last year was Jamie Wincup not winning just because it did put a different face up the front for a little while. Unfortunately, he hasn't had the best season this year. Uh, but I think from a, from a promotion point of view, Craig Lowndes to win the championship... At the moment, it's just great seeing the two of them battle battle it out. It really is, isn't it, a two-race battle, even though mathematically you can bring five cars into the championship hunt. But I don't think anyone's looking further down the order than Craig Lowndes, 143 points behind. As you know, you can do anything with numbers and say this, that and whatever. The reality is, um, as it has been for a while, that there's only two guys who can win this championship and it's Lowndes or Wincup. <coughs> and it's going to come down to, at the end of the day, you know, which one has that little bit of extra luck, you know, which one of them doesn't have the bad luck. 
you know, can they can they recover from you know the, the errors and the mistakes that they make as drivers? Um, and you know, they will make mistakes because that's what drivers do. They're human beings. You know, they make errors. Some errors are costly. You know, some of them land you in a wall. Other ones simply uh, you know cost you a couple of grid spots. Um, but yeah, you know, it comes down to mental strength and who's got it. And uh, yeah, I think what I love about this is that you're watching the two of them and Lowndes and Wincup, and they come across as such different people. You know that they're Lowndes is the, the jokey, happy-go-lucky, and you know Wincup's a guy who wouldn't crack a smile at buddy Jerry Lee Lewis. Or Jerry Lewis was telling jokes in front of him. Yeah, you know, but at the end of the day, there is a, one thing which is very similar in the two of them, and that is when the helmet's on and the visor's down. They are as brutal and as ruthless as you will find as motor racing drivers. They have one goal, and that is to win. Um, and that's what's so good about it. And the thing is, you can't say, you know, one of them's going to win because their car's better. One of them's going to win because their team's worse. They're same cars, the same team. You know, and this this is great. You know, look, head to head, let's see it. Let's see it happen. Um, and I'll guarantee you now that uh, Big Air Nev is sitting back thinking, God, can Lowndes win? Because think of the extra magazine sales that would bring us all. <laughs> it is a bit like that. It's time for Gas and Go on the V8 Insiders. Gas and Go is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Gas and Go brought to you by V8X Magazine, the new edition on sale very, very soon. And Tom Worsley, it is interesting. Are you joining Team Vodafone for Movember? Uh... Probably not for me, unfortunately. I've got to be clean-shaven, but I love seeing um, high-profile teams get behind such a worthy cause. And, you know, it's probably one of the topics that's close to all the drivers' hearts that doesn't get spoken about a lot. Clarky, what about you? Oh, I don't think I'm going to shave mine off for anyone. (laughs) (laughs) I've got the goatee, I've had it for years, and... uh, you know, yeah, it's a hard one to come to grips with. I mean, you know, um, I'll probably give some cash over the board if that counts. <laughs> of course, uh, I need to start now for next November if I was any hope of growing anything. <laughs> what about this? Do we need to put the Indian orange secondary ripple strips into the Gold Coast, Andrew? Uh, yeah, not such a bad idea. I mean, at the end of the day, what happened up there, we, we don't have to compensate for Indy cars anymore, so I think we can be quite brutal with the curbing if we need to and uh, and deal with it in that way. And, uh, you know, um, I, I'd make the consequences. If you don't want people to ride over the curbs, make consequences for riding over the curbs quite dramatic. You know, let's forget about trying to pin who does and who doesn't, blah, blah, blah. You know, you ride a curb, the good chance you're going to break a suspension arm or puncture a tyre or do something. And then we saw it years ago, remember... Um, the cars were running wide at Griffin's Bend coming out of the exit at Bathurst and they kept on puncturing tyres and they were blaming everybody under the sun. Um, but the reality was, and the data told you, that yeah, it's because they were running wide onto the kerb and the kerb had a little bit, they were hammering the kerb. So, you know, yeah, I'd make the kerbs as brutal as possible and then uh, then watch them stay off them. Essentially, um, it comes back to the tyre, the dangerous, and the... Uh the extra ripple strip probably would be a solution to it that still has the same consequences. Disasters in the past. I mean, you have perfect Kelly in the Other things where people clipped the tyres, I think it was Brighty at Darwin, they yeah, clipped the tyre bundle slightly, and uh, it just so happened to be that the, the bolts that were holding the wrapping, the rubber wrapping around the tyre bundle were hanging out, and he cut a tyre on that, you know? It's just such a stupid thing. I don't understand. Um, why in this day and age we're still putting tie bundles down. I mean, God, it's 2011. Tom, Nick Perkat wins in India. 
Will he win a drive in the main game next year? He had a great run at Phillip Island and a great run at Bathurst. I think we won't see him in 2012, but probably 2013 we'll see Nick Perkett get a full-time drive. I just don't think he's quite there yet. Andrew? Oh, look, I don't think there's any great drive that I'd be one to go for if I was in his shoes. Um, I think all the really good plum drives are sold. And so you're better off doing a year of Fujitsu's and uh, dominating, hopefully winning that. Yeah, maybe take another Bathurst with Garth Dander and um, see what happens. But, uh, you yeah, know, I wouldn't be giving up a plum drive like the, um, to run at the back of the like Warren Luff, for instance. Mm. Paul Dumbrell, Andrew Clark, called Shane Van Gisbergen an oxygen thief. Is that uh, a fair call on the young New Zealander? Well, it is, isn't it? Uh, you've got to love it when drivers are uh, fired up in the heat of the moment. I mean, you know, I think it's great. I personally do. I mean, yeah, it's a bit of a harsh comment on, on, on the Giz. I mean, I think the Giz has been terrific this year. Um, no doubt at all. You know, he is you know, part of the future of this um, you know, maybe PD's got a little bit of uh, a little bit of jealousy in there about uh, the Giz um, fulfilling some of the promise that PD had that we never really saw until of late. Um, but yeah, look, yeah, let them open their mouths. I love it. You know, the personality that these guys can bring to the sport when they're when they're allowed to is great. And uh, you know, get the PR guys out of their faces and let us talk to the real people. I mean, we see all these scandals of, from footballers uh, on and off the field. Why can't we have it in V8 supercars? I think a little bit of freedom of speech and some raw emotion is a good thing and I'm sure Shane Van Gisbergen will just brush it off and possibly say something nasty back and that'll be the end of it. Well, we hope not. That's Guess and Go for another week here on the V8 Insiders. Guess and Go is brought to you by the V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Tom and Andrew will join us with more on the V8 Insiders right after this. Find out more about your favourite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Tom Worsley and Andrew Clark joining me, Craig Revell. And guys, uh, we've seen the calendar. My question to you is now... What formats do we want to see each of these rounds? Clarky, do we need to have wholesale changes in the way the races are run? I think you've got to be careful with that. I mean, remember they went and changed the rules a couple of years ago to get rid of rounds to have individual races because they said that's what everybody understands. Um, so I think if you're going to go back now and say, well, what do we do? You know, like we've got the confusion of three races in Perth. We've got a couple of other oddities that might appear. I think, yeah, you just got to give it consistency. I mean, you know, Formula One's been running the same format now for, you know, for as long as I can remember. You know, it's a two-hour race or 320 kilometres, bang, there it is. There's your format. Uh, and like it'll love it, you know, and it works for them because everybody knows week in, week out what they're getting. You know, NASCAR don't run a race on Saturday and a race on Sunday. You know, I don't know any other 
any other you know really good class in the world that that does it. And you know, I'm, I, I kind of liked it a few years ago when they just did the one big race on the Sunday. You know, the three hour type race on a Sunday, um, and turn Saturday into qualifying day, and you know get the cars on track as much as possible for qualifying. So you know maybe we fiddle with qualifying, but uh, I, I think go back to something simple with the. I I'd probably go back to. Um Back to the round system, I used to love going out to Iron Park when I was growing up and seeing qualifying, top 10 shootout, race one, and then um, if I wasn't able to get out on Sunday, watching two races. And the problem with this year is there's a few format changes through the year which confuse things. If they lock it in now for next year and don't change it, that's fine. Um, I just think if... You've got a triple crown, keep it with three races and not have qualifying as, um, or sorry, a top 10 shootout county as the crown and just make it simple for the fans so it doesn't need Mark Larkin with the whiteboard to explain just the race format. I guess that's... The a... other thing that's silly about it is when you hear them talking about, you know, the Homebush 400 or whatever it is, you, you know, it's not one 400k race and we don't credit the round win, any, you know, the round anymore, yet the whole hype and the whole PR stunt around these things is based around, you know, the overall length of the two rounds the way it used to be. So, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You either want rounds or you want races. Um, I personally don't like the racing. I like the round wins. I like to have a round winner from the weekend rather than two race winners. You know? And uh, you know, I think it's something that's been a bit missing. Um, interestingly, well, I... Well, essentially... You, sorry, Andrew. Essentially, you still get your race winners, but you've also got the uh, the added bonus of striving for that round win. I think that's where the support categories have got one up on V8 supercars. And the important... Yeah, I, I also don't like this, you know, the two pole position qualifying things on the weekend and all that kind of stuff, you know. I mean, I love my stats. I love my numbers. You know, and everything's skewed now, you know. Like, when Mark Scaife gets overtaken for number of pole positions, you know, who cares? Because, you know, you get two pole positions a weekend now, so, you know, do they really count all that much? You know? um, and how do you measure all the other bits and pieces? You know, like, I think, you know, it's OK to say, let's evolve, let's keep growing, let's let's see what we can do next, but... And let's not be stupid about this thing. People have watched and followed car racing for a very long time in this country and for a very long time they've had round winners um, and they don't have that anymore. And uh, I I think it's odd. I mean, I personally would want it back. It is amazing, isn't it, that uh, they've made this change because it's easier for the media to get onto it where in actual fact the Saturday race winner gets Jack and... On Sunday, you're, all you're talking about is Sunday and you're talking about the points in the championship. So it's a double whammy because you, if you get 30 seconds through the news package on Saturday night, that's all you get for winning the Saturday race. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day that that's the reality is that, you know, well, they, they wanted to do this because they said it was going to give us all of this sensational coverage on Sunday and Saturday night news, but it doesn't do it because you can't fool... You know, the, the non-motorsport media. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of motorsport media I see in the press room, you can fill a lot of them. But the normal media, you're not going to pull the wool over their heads. They know, and they still concentrate, that, you know, race day for a V8 supercar, race day for motor racing anywhere in the world, pretty much, is a Sunday. They know that, and that's what they're stuck to. So, you know, unless you're going to spend a lot of money trying to re-educate, you know, the sports editor at the Herald Sun or the sports editor at, you know, ABC News in Melbourne or 
Brisbane or Perth or whatever, you're just not going to succeed. So, you know, just say, this is what people accept. This is what they understand. You know, we can't re-educate them. It's the first and most basic principle of branding um, anywhere in the world is do not try to convince people you are something you're not. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what formats they come up with, particularly with some of the international races that are up ahead. And uh, uh, Tom, a final thought. Do you think we're going to see two races Saturday, Sunday of equal lengths when we go to Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, Malaysia, India in the future? I don't know. I think as much as I want to say yes, as much as I want to say yes, I V8 supercars are probably going to go with some weird and wonderful formula that's unique to that area just to um, excite us and confuse us more. Andrew? I think they're definitely going to try and do something different. I mean, they're not frightened of trying something. Um, But I think, you know, in some cases you do have to think, you know, what suits these cars and what suits the tracks, etc. And that's the problem, having such a limited tyre choice, is that you can't really play around with things. Yeah, you can't do what Michelin does and take, you know, this tyre and that tyre. Or Sorry, who's running Formula 1 now? Pirelli. Mm. Whoever's whoever's doing Formula 1, you know, they take this tyre and that tyre to this track and another track, they take a different combination. Um, We don't have that luxury. So we can't say, you know, at at Barbagallo, for instance, that if we take the soft tyre, then we're going to end up with... uh, you know, with a big bowl of jelly on our wheels at the end of it, so let's do this, and then we'll run two short, three shorter races because we can't make the tyres last. I think, you know, you kind of back yourself into a corner in a sense with some of these things, and then you look at it and you say, well, if we go to Singapore, you know, as support to the Grand Prix, um, when we race in the day and they race at night, you know, what's going to suit the format for that? You know, because you've got to work around the Formula One scheduling as well for that. So, you know, there's all these sort of things to take into account, but. Uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, it's very much the kiss for me. Keep it simple. Mm. Um, don't fiddle too much. Don't try to be, you know, uh, over-engineer this thing. Just, you know, keep it really simple to understand, um, especially, and, and I say this, you know, you need people to be able to understand what is going on very simply. Um, and you also need to have it simple so that the people back here who are trying to watch it at 2 o'clock in the morning can understand. Andrew Clark and Tom Worsley, it's a pleasure to have you on the show once again this week and uh, look forward to speaking to you both very soon. Not a worry. Talk to you soon. Thanks very much. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. You're listening to V8 Insiders. On the way flag lap, we speak to Paul Gover on the best 40 touring girl drivers of all time. For years I've known you as a newspaper man, but... Of late, you're getting into the book world a bit harder and harder with the history of V8 supercar drivers. Yeah, when you get old, you get a bit more perspective, so you're able to do these things. Um, ABC Books rang up and asked me to write something about the best touring car drivers of all time, and I was pretty chuffed to be asked, so uh, that's what we've ended up doing with a book about the 40 best, well, in my opinion, best drivers uh, since the dawn of the touring car era. It's interesting because... These things are so subjective. You ask 20 people, you get 20 answers, but generally most people agree with that 40. 
Yeah, I, I did. I had my own 40 and I only changed two. After I, I rang about 10 people, you know, some ex-racers, some journos and things. And the advantage I have is because I'm 56 now, I've actually seen most of those. Well, I think I saw every one of those guys race um, in periods. So, and that helps you a lot, you know, put things into perspective and stuff. The hard part, once you've got 40, is to try and narrow it down, which is something I did later on with the book. Of course, uh, the questions that's always asked, and I'm sure you've been plagued with it, who was 41? Jim McEwen. Uh, interestingly, because there are a lot of people I've told they were 41, <laughs> like, my, like my good mate Brad Jones. Oh, mate, you missed out by one. Well, Neil Crompton, you missed out by one. But if I, if I had to put one bloke in, even though he didn't race V8s, it would be Jim McEwen. He was amazing back in the Norm Beachy sort of Ian Gagan era. And, uh, and ironically, just after I'd committed to, to do the book and, I, and it was all locked away, I met Jim McEwen for the first time in probably 25 years at an AMG Mercedes Drive Day at the Grand Prix this year. These sort of books, we see the history of V8 supercars, Gordo's book. Uh, we're seeing a lot more drivers releasing books now. One, of course, you were involved with, with Jamie Wincup. But the early touring car drivers, their histories aren't as well documented. Their legend is out there, and it's uh, got that great Greek tradition of uh, people telling stories. But we haven't done a lot of documentation of the general scene and this is one way of getting that record for uh, posterity yeah well that was one of the reasons I, I wanted to do it I mean it would be really easy to write about 40 recent blokes but it's about people like Norm Beach here about Gagan about Jane and the good thing is of the guys who are alive the only bloke I didn't speak to was Norm Beachy, who doesn't do interviews at all um but I did manage to get in the story about the fact that he put an axe through his helmet when he retired, you know, which is, a, which is well known. But, yeah, I, I love writing about those guys because it was a very, very different time. But these guys were towering talents in their day. And I'm sure if they jumped in a car, you know, up against the modern guys, they'd be just as good. That is always the comparison. How do you compare era and generation? And while some drivers do cross over, they either cross over at the beginning of their career or at the end of their career when they're not at their peak. Yeah, and that makes it really hard. Um, for example, you know, Scaife against Jim Richards. You know, Scaife came along, he was in his 20s. Richo was the best bloke in the world. Um, I mean, Jamie, even now, Jamie Winkup against Craig Lowndes. You know, they're a half a generation apart, but, but in a lot of ways they're a full generation apart. How do you compare them? And so what you have to do... Um, I, I did a top ten at the end of the book, and the thing was... A great mate of mine, the late Possum Bourne, and I used to sit around after dinner and play a game called Race for Your Life. Really simple. You can do it with any sport, and it doesn't have to be motorsport. You can do it with skiing. You do it, you know, Cadell Evans. Would you rate Cadell Evans, or would you rate uh, one of the other, you know, Michelle Inderan, you know? It's the same sort of thing. So that's what I did when I was sitting down to do the top ten. And it, again, it helps that I've seen them all. You can go back to some records. You've got the Herald Sun Library at your fingertips. Yeah. You've got photos and and some video but did you have to do a lot of that sort of research before you started or you're able to do most of it off the top of the head i'll be honest i'm a newspaper reporter i do it off the top of my head but you may have heard of aaron noonan he's captain stats so basically i got the stuff off the top of my head and and got it all together and then went to aaron and got him to put together a dossier but the thing about it is how do you compare a bloke now who's doing 30 well they call them rounds now and then you look back in the Touring Car Championship days when there were six rounds. I mean, how do you compare that stuff? And that's the other thing is you're talking about Touring Car Championship. But like I used to go to Warwick Farm back in the day and you would go or Oran Park and there were non-championship rounds. These blokes only ever do the championship. The other blokes used to race every weekend. And so even though the records are not as good, 
the actual if you've actually saw them race so i would have seen moffat against gagan 20 30 times you know at different tracks on different days at different you know so you get to see all that sort of stuff it's a very different and that's the advantage of being old well not old but not young you know you've actually seen these things and, and it makes it much easier my thanks to Paul Gover, Dan Crane, Andrew Clark, and Tom Worsley as the checker flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders. Till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.